Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, the very latest information on the sinister men in black, the chilling women in black, and the creepy black-eyed children. There seems to be two categories of men in black. There are these weirder ones, the strange-looking ones, and there are examples where government agencies have sent people out to investigate UFO encounters, and particularly in the 50s and 60s, you know, all the guys wore sort of suits and black hats, you know, fedoras. There's good evidence that at some point the government realized that there were these weird men in black going around and they actually had no idea who they were but the governments realized that they could cover their tracks by actually sort of masquerading as the weirder group. I want to tell you about something I discovered recently called carbon 60. I call it the miracle molecule. Now you might remember an interview I did recently with a researcher Chris Burris who's looking to help people who experience pain, inflammation, loss of sleep, or lost mental acuity with his new C60 company, C60Evo.com. He has a product which is a consumable form of carbon-60 called ESS-60 that's been proven in peer-reviewed, published research to extend the lifespan of test rats by 90% while allowing them to live tumor-free. That's pretty amazing. Those rats were given the C60Evo.com formula The formula is a powerful antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C, and it's known to be a powerful anti-inflammatory. C60 is based on Nobel Prize winning chemistry. I highly recommend ESS60. The mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon every morning, and we're both pain-free and sleeping better than ever. Discover the benefits of carbon-60. I call it the miracle molecule, ESS-60, from c60evo.com. Now, make sure to use the coupon code RS1SPEC. That's RS1SPEC. Buy today at c60evo.com. That's c60evo.com. And don't forget the code rs one SPEC. This product has not been assessed by the FDA and is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. A quick heads up, I'll be hosting Coast to Coast AM. This coming Saturday, February the 8th, mark that down. And if you haven't listened to this amazing radio program, the most popular overnight radio program in America, check it out. You can go to coasttocoastam.com and click on media and then local stations to find an affiliate near you that carries the show. Hey, uh, Nick Redfern is standing by. I don't think there is another researcher, author, who has investigated the men in black phenomenon the way Nick has. And he is here with the very latest information on the sinister men in black, the chilling women in black, and the creepy black-eyed children. His new book documents dozens of never-before-seen stories of encounters with these creatures. And uh, he also talks about his own sightings of uh, men in black. Uh, He also discusses the ability of these multidimensional entities to invade our space in hostile fashion and how and why writing, reading, and even thinking about them can be hazardous. Nick is the author of more than 40 books. They include Men in Black, Women in Black, The Roswell UFO Conspiracy, 365 Days of UFOs. Uh, Nick has appeared on many TV shows, including the BBC's Out of This World, the Sci-Fi Channel's Proof Positive, the History Channel's Monster Quest, America's Book of Secrets, and UFO Hunters, the National Geographic Channel's Paranatural, and MSNBC's Countdown. His latest is The Black Diary. 
Men in Black, Women in Black, Black-Eyed Children, and Dangerous Books. Nick Redfern, how are you, my friend? I'm good, thanks, Richard. How's it going? Terrific, thank you. Good. I know that your previous book talked about women in black, but before that, I wasn't familiar why should there not be women in black, but mm-hmm. I hadn't heard this being widely reported. Typically, when people have a UFO sighting or they have a, a close encounter, when they report being visited by uh, entities in black, they tend to be men. Is this a new a new phenomenon? How did you find out about the women in black? Well, I actually, uh, about three years ago, um, wrote an entire book on the, the whole women in black phenomenon and um, I think one of the reasons why it's been kind of overlooked is is because the term man in black everybody knows about it even you know even the public knows it thanks to the uh, the movies um, but I think because uh, it is so iconic that people associate the man in black uh, only when it comes to people being threatened in relation to UFOs and other phenomena but if you look throughout the history, you do find that there are now and again reports of these women in black, and they're typically very similar to the men in black who, you know, in the movies, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones are secret agents of a, of a secret agency within government. But the vast majority of the real reports are very, very different, where they kind of look very pale and gaunt, and they have these oversized eyes, and they don't even look fully human. And that's the same with the women in black. They're typically described as having very, very pale skin, um, again, sort of slightly larger than uh, normal eyes. And they wear these long wigs that sort of, you know, come across their face and around their chin. So it's hard to sort of see them properly when they wear these wraparound sunglasses as well. Which, And that's probably the whole point is to sort of try and mask their real appearance, so to speak. Um, but John Keel, who wrote the Mothman Prophecies book, when Keel was investigating the Mothman stories in 66 and 67 in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, he actually came across more than a few women in black cases where people who'd seen Mothman were visited by these women who essentially presented themselves as doing things like census taking and things like that. So they didn't think anything of it until the questions started to get very, very strange. Has, has anybody had any strange nightmares? Have you seen anything unusual outside of your house late at night? That kind of thing. And then the witnesses, the people realized that this was just a ruse, saying they were doing a census. It was actually just a ruse to try and get into the house. And Keel actually um, put together quite a few of those cases. And these are not pleasant encounters, obviously, but how does a typical, if there is a typical encounter, how does it usually go? They're told to keep quiet about what they've seen. How does it typically play out? Yeah, well, the vast majority of cases, whether it's the men in black or the women in black, typically they've had a UFO encounter. But in saying that, there have been some cases where people claim to have seen things like Bigfoot and then they've been threatened. And people using Ouija boards claim to have had experiences with the men in black and the women in black as well, just hours or days after using a Ouija board. But typically the experience occurs when it's usually late at night, there's a knock on the door. And of course, you know, if there's a knock on your door at, say, 11 o'clock at night, you're going to think, who on earth is that? So people go to the spy hole, and if you see sort of two or three creepy, pale-faced figures staring back, you're probably not going to open the front door, you know. The weird thing is, most of the witnesses or the victims actually do open the door and let them in. And with hindsight, they felt as if they were somehow being sort of mind-controlled, mind-manipulated, hypnotized. And so they invite them in. And that kind of ties in with the old parallels and the legends of vampires where yes. they have to be invited in. And that's one of the interesting things. The black-eyed children, the women in black, men in black, all wait to be invited into the home. Now, when they get in the house, they then threaten the person not to talk about what they'd seen. And very often in these experiences, the person who is being threatened, they kind of feel in almost like a daze, like a, a drugged state. One witness described as like if you could live in something like a real Matrix world. You know, it, it was like a, almost a, an unreality type situation where things didn't seem quite right in the home, as if it was almost like a vivid, uh, like I said, a, a real life Matrix. And when the threat has, has finished, 
they turn and then they leave. And one of the weird things is how they arrive and leave is very often they sort of walk in these jerky fashions, almost like a zombie, you know, sort of jerky movements along. So everything about the men in black is sort of very far removed from the whole imagery that, you know, Hollywood has presented. And yeah, they're fun movies, but they definitely did sort of plant, if you like, in the mind of the public and a lot of UFO researchers who perhaps weren't overly familiar with it, all assumed it was, you know, government agents, when it's more like something straight out of like an H.P. Lovecraft novel or something like that. Right. I mean, are there cases where people are visited by what appear to be fully human sort of government G-men? Oh, yeah, there are. There's no doubt about that. And that's one of the interesting things, is that there seems to be two categories of men in black. There are these weirder ones, the strange-looking ones, and there are examples where government agencies have sent people out to investigate UFO encounters. And particularly in the 50s and 60s, you know, all the guys wore sort of suits and black hats, you know, fedoras. There's good evidence that at some point the government realized that there were these weird men in black going around and they actually had no idea who they were, but the governments realized that they could cover their tracks by actually sort of masquerading as the weirder group. In other words, it actually is as a good camouflage for the government to pose as the men in black, even though, as I said, they didn't necessarily really know who the stranger ones are and they still may not know but equally they may still be using that sort of imagery as a means to ensure that nobody ever finds out who they really actually are so um you know that there is at least two groups i think that sort of fall into that particular category of mib tell me about your encounter with men in black did this follow a, a ufo sighting or how did it happen no, it actually didn't, Richard. It was a very strange story, and which I tell in the book. And what happened was that um, this was back in the latter part of 2016, and I was writing an article for a website I write, uh, write for, Mysterious Universe. And the article was based around various um, people who, after either reading the novel or watching the movie, version of uh, the old movie uh, Rosemary's Baby, which is like a, a supernatural satanic tale. And it was written in the 1960s uh, by a man named Ira Levin, and then it was made into a big box Hollywood movie. And the what's really weird is a number of people who have read the book, watched the movie, have had paranormal experiences immediately afterwards. Now, a few years ago, I interviewed a guy named Peter Beckman, and Peter is a, a voiceover actor. He does a lot of voiceover for cartoons and, and shows and things like that. And he had one of these experiences um, where him and a friend back in the 19, late 1960s were actually playing the old vinyl LP version of the soundtrack, and then they had one of these weird spaced-out experiences where they saw suddenly these two weird-looking, pale, skinny, emaciated men in black. And their mind was kind of blurred as well as to the full facts. Now, I wrote about this and several other cases in the article. And then the next morning, I just I, when I got up, I sort of pulled the curtains open and looked through the blinds of my second-floor apartment window. And no word of a lie, there was a guy coming towards the apartment who had like a black suit on, um, black hat, and he was walking in a really strange way. His hands were sort of uh, hanging down, like, you know, if you've got a pet dog and you put him on the back's legs, you know, the, the front limbs, front paws kind of hang down. It was like that. And he was thin and very weird looking. And I, I just, I actually froze for like a few seconds, and then I raced to... Uh, to grab uh, my phone so I could get a picture and um, quickly dressed, raced down the steps and uh, managed to get the one picture, then um, grabbed um, some clothes and shoes to, uh, to to follow him down the steps, so to speak. I got down the steps and turned right to see where he was and he wasn't there. And I find him sort of about 50 feet down the left-hand side of the next apartment block and he was just getting into the car. But uh, I managed to get a picture of him, and just one picture. But as I said, he, you know, he, he looked 
kind of strange. Um, and he had this black hat on, like an old-style fedora hat, black suit. And, you know, this was Dallas in sort of September uh, 2016, when it's still, you know, the height of the, the weather. You know, in, in September in Dallas here, you know, the temperature's still like 95 sometimes, you know, on, yes. a, on a good day, so to speak. And nobody dresses like that, you know, around there. And um, he certainly wasn't a resident of the apartment. You know, you get to know everybody. How close did and, you get um, to him, Nick? How close did you it was just get... really strange as well because of the timing with me having written this article the night before and obviously thinking about the movie, Rosemary's Baby and the book when I was writing the article, and then suddenly, uh, like so many other people who've had these paranormal experiences after watching the movie or reading the book, um, and then I should get exactly the same thing within 24 hours of writing the article. And to me, at least, it just sounded um, just, you know, there's just no way it could just be coincidence. And um, And as I said, you know, the big irony was... People have always said, you know, what would you do if you um, you saw one of these? I said, well, you know, I'd question him and get pictures, etc., etc. And I got one. But even I, I just froze. You know, I just, I, it's kind of like when you're watching a car accident. You know, you just sort of stare for a, a minute, that kind of thing. And um, uh, Well, understandably, you were in yeah. shock. How close did you get to him before he got into his car? Um, I was probably, when I took the picture, I was probably about 20 feet away. Um, but I was able to, you know, since then to, to blow the picture up, and it, you know, it's, and it's pretty clear. Um, but when I actually saw him, uh, when I lost him, uh, then I saw him getting in a car, and there was three other guys. They weren't dressed uh, like him, but they got in the car with him as well, and uh, and then just drove off. And I asked a few people around, you know, did you see this guy? And um, you know, sort of wandering around, and um, nobody else saw him. That was a strange thing, you know, and um, it was sort of like 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning where, you know, people are getting ready to do things and whatever, and um, and nobody saw him. So that was kind of odd as well. And um, But, you know, that that's why the in the book, uh, my book, um, the subtitle includes the words dangerous books because there are a number of cases like this where people have read books, like, for example, the first book on the Men in Black, which was called um, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, published in 1956, and then the second one called Flying Saucers and the Three Men, published in 1962. A number of people who read those books claim that afterwards they saw the Men in Black, or they started to get these weird hang-up phone calls in the middle of the night. And... Um, and several people, in one case, the, the Flying Saucers and the Three Men book, which was written by a guy named Albert Bender, two people actually sent their copies back to the publisher because they got this creepy vibe from the book, as if it was almost somehow like supernaturally infected, and they just got this weird but sort of unsettling vibe of even just holding the book. And so they sent, and that's when the same people who had these experiences, and so they just sent the book back. And one of them actually burned the book as well. So that kind of demonstrates how, for whatever reason, people pick these books up and they just, they kind of feel almost, you know, infected by something supernatural. Now, had you not tried to take a photograph of this character, would he have come, do you think, directly to your apartment? Would he have knocked on the door? Was he looking well, for you? Actually, you know, I've never really thought of that. I just, I kind of just, you know, saw him, took the picture, and then made the association with the time with the whole Rosemary's Baby thing the night before and the day before. Um, I guess, you know, I could sort of hypothesize or whatever, but I mean, all I can say for sure is that if it was a weird coincidence, and if just a regular guy happened to walk past my window at the very same time I opened the blinds to see what the weather was like and and you put it together with the time of the article then you could put it down to coincidence but you have so many factors involved um, that I honestly don't think it was coincidence I think there was something much bigger going on and it, it also happened at the time where I was having a lot of other weird things going on and this was when I was writing this particular book. And um, 
And John Keel found that when he was writing about the men in black, he would start to have weird experiences, almost as if when you think about them, research them, it's almost like a, an alarm bell goes off where they realize what's going on and then turn the table, so to speak. And this has never happened to you before except for no. with no, Rosemary's I mean, Baby. What, well, what I would say is that when I've been researching and um, writing and even doing radio for other shows on The Man in Black, I have had weird experiences like that. But certainly in the last two years, it was elevated hugely. And no, I've never had an experience with a Man in Black type character before or since. You know, um, it's just this one occasion two years ago. Um, but, you know, for the most part, people only really do see them just once. There are a few exceptions to that rule, but mostly it is it is just one. But, um, you know, when, when you kind of see this happening, not just to you, but to friends, um, um, you know, who, who are interviewed for the new book, and after the interview then they started to be become the victim of these things as well. So, again, how that can happen, you know, that's the big question. But the all I can tell you for sure is that, you know, it does happen. You think about them, and it's almost as if they know you're thinking about them. Well, last time we had you on, Nick, we were talking about your most recent book, which was about the whole Slender Man phenomenon, and you were describing sort of this Tibetan legend where the monks are able to manifest these demons with their minds. Is that sort of related yeah. to what we're talking about here? Yeah, it's basically a phenomenon known as thought forms, or with Buddh in Buddhist terms, it's called a tulpa, T-U-L-P-A. And the theory is that the human mind, the collective human mind, like the hive mind, so to speak, if enough people focus on something in their mind and think about it, dream about it, write about it, obsessive about it, etc., etc., that if enough people are focusing on one thing, they can sort of create a real-world equivalent of like a fictional entity. And that's what may have happened with the Slender Man, which was created as, a, as, a, as a, just a piece of Internet, uh, uh, like a competition, a contest. Uh, but now people see the Slender Man in the real world because, I think, um, that so many people sort of uh, are so focused on it thousands and thousands that they may well have sort of given birth in a very strange way to a, a creature of the mind which then steps out of the imagination and becomes self-aware and there are actually some people who think that could be what the men in black are that more and more people are aware of them and come to believe in them and then again that the human mind creates them unwittingly and inadvertently and then they take on their own um, character almost, if you like. And um, I've actually wondered, you know, if, if something like that could have happened with me. You know, I mean, I mean, I have the photo, but I mean, is that all it is or could it be? You know, the fact that I've focused so much on the Men in Black mystery over the years, having written five book, four books on it and one on the Women in Black, you know, could it be all that focus actually causes them to manifest but it's it's us who's doing it which would be even more kind of disturbing if we were creating them and we couldn't do anything to stop it have you given given any consideration to the idea that maybe the whole ufo phenomena is a torpa that, that, that they are manifestations well, thought forms you know i mean one of the things is that um, certainly if you look at the ufo subject over the years the 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 ufos themselves have sort of changed to mirror the technology of one particular period for example back in the 1800s people didn't see flying saucers they saw what were <clears throat> what were known as phantom airships and they were slightly advanced of the airships that we had back then then in the 1940s in the second world war you had these strange balls of light that were known as the foo fighters which is which is where the band got their name from then in the in the uh, late 1940s, you had ghost rockets, which were like rocket-type ships. Then you had flying saucers. Now, people today don't really see flying saucers anymore. They see these large, black, triangular-shaped craft. So, in many cases, what we find is that the UFOs change as our technology changes. So, if it is us creating these images, 
then it would make sense that we would be creating things similar to the you know the up and coming technology um but you know the people say well why can't we not stop thinking about them well it's not easy to stop thinking about things you know if i said to someone stop thinking about the men in black well the first thing you're going to do is think about the men in black and it's very difficult to put something out of your mind when it's on your mind constantly and i think that's what happened with the thousands and thousands of kids who have obsessed on the slender man they cannot get out of their mind and as i said that hive kind of connection um causes them to come into being and um so I, th I, d I don't think that can explain the whole paranormal phenomena, but I do think that a good case could be made, and possibly, you know, with some of the Manning Black cases, that understanding the phenomenon, looking into it, thinking about it, could actually cause you to create it, and you have no actual understanding that you ever had any, any role in it. You just think you saw this thing, not realizing you may have created it in the process. Do the men in black or the women in black, when they when they threaten somebody, you know, don't report what you saw. If someone actually does report what they saw, do they ever get a return visit? Did, in other words, do the men in black, women in black, ever follow through on their threats? As far as we know. Well, that's one of the interesting things because actually they really don't. Um, they don't sort of come back usually more than once. But what I can tell you is that if people have had a threat and they do continue to talk about it or, you know, they contact a UFO group or the local press, those people, they don't get like a second visit, but they typically do get these weird phone calls um, where, you know, the phone rings, say, two or three in the morning and it wakes them up with a jolt, so they go to the phone. When they pick it up, it's usually like weird static on the line. Or it sounds like, like a language, but a language that they just cannot understand, and sometimes like a very fast, chattery voice, um, which also they're not able to understand. Um, and again, you know, there's no direct threat. It's more sort of um, an Im intimidation just caused by... The, just the sheer weirdness of picking the phone up and hearing these electronic bleeps or static or this sort of, oh, like a sinister, very fast language, you know. Um, and it really, it actually really does intimidate a lot of people. And there are so many stories of those, those kind of follow-ups where there hasn't been like a literal physical follow-up, but there has been this angle of um, sort of uh, early hours phone calls and and things like that. And there have also been some cases where people have woken up in the middle of the night, sort of semi-paralyzed and able to move, and they see like a shadow version of the men in black looming over them. Now, you know, the men in black look physical, but this subcategory, which I also talk about in the book, which is growing in interest, um, is what's known as the shadow people. And they look, it's like a shadowy human figure, but within the shadow people category, there's like a subcategory known as the hat man. And the hat man looks like the men in black, but it's like a flat shadow. And people have seen those in the bedroom, so they've had a visit. More of my conversation with Nick Redfern when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Did you get the tea? I get mine every month delivered to my door. A pouch of fragrant Formula 13 pomegranate cleansing tea from GetTheTea.com. Two bags of this amazing herbal, non-GMO organic tea are brewed and then placed in the fridge to steep. Two bags make two gallons, and I drink a tall 16-ounce glass every morning. I feel refreshed, energized, and clean from the inside out. Did I mention that all the tea at GetTheTea.com is caffeine-free? Order yours today from GetTheTea.com and discover what everyone is raving about. Use the code word UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. Life Change Tea and Formula 13 Teas. Life Change Tea and Formula 13 Teas are not available in any store. It's time to get on board and get your tea from GetTheTea.com. Rich 
Richard has tiny talking insects living in his sock drawer. We are bags and we are living in Richard's sock drawer. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Nick Redfern is with us, the author of over 40 books. The new one is The Black Diary, Men in Black, Women in Black, Black-Eyed Children, and Dangerous Books. Speaking of dangerous books, has anyone ever reported after reading one of your books they receive a visit from a man in black or a woman in black? Well, not yet. <laughs> I mean, the, the new book where I'm sort of talking about all this, is, you know, as you know, has literally just come out in the last week. But I always get a lot of feedback from the book. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see what actually develops. But in terms of this sort of negative backlash, what's particularly interesting is that I haven't actually seen it in most books, you know, on UFOs or anything like that. But as I said, it's, it has happened in a number of Men in Black-based books. And again, I don't think that is a coincidence. I think somehow, you know, the phenomena does have some sort of deep connection to us in terms of infringing on our reality. But I have a lot of stories from people who, for example, were reading about the black-eyed children and researching it. And a lot of weird stuff happened, like electronic equipment in the house all failing at the same time, like refrigerators, microwaves, electric kettles, light bulbs shattering, exploding in a couple of cases. And this happened when the people were reading, you know, sometimes like sitting in bed late at night, you know, reading, and they suddenly hear a bang somewhere or something would light up. And in several cases, this happened over three or four times where the people would have the books out or reading, you know, files, etc., or reading about on the Internet. And then suddenly things go haywire again to the point where some of the witnesses actually said that enough's enough and, you know, just dropped out of the subject because they just felt it was just getting too disturbing for them. You know, I have something similar to share. I hmm. have done a number of interviews regarding the whole, you know, Robert Johnson, the, the devil at the crossroads. You know oh, that yeah. story. Mm-hmm. And one of my last interviews on the radio with uh, our Gary Patterson, who passed away about a year ago, we were talking about his trip down to the crossroads. Uh, he made a pilgrimage down to uh, Clarksdale. Mm-hmm. Just like you said, the phone went offline, the computer went down, and uh, then we got him back on, we did the show. Then, just a couple of months ago, I was interviewing another author, Matt Swain, about the same topic for my podcast, and we did the interview, it sounded fine. When I went back and checked the audio, there was this crackling throughout the entire thing. I had to, we had to do the whole interview again. Then I had Matt Swain on Coast to Coast. We talked about the crossroads. Wouldn't you know it, we got knocked off the air for 10 minutes. So I don't know if that's the same thing going on, but I don't know. Someone didn't want us talking about that. Well, that does happen a lot. I mean, one of my previous books on the Men in Black, the same thing actually happened on Coast to Coast and also on one of Whitley Strieber's shows. And so I know for a lot of people it's probably going to sound crazy and paranoid, but all I can tell people for sure and, and honestly is that that really is what people have reported. And had I not you know, sort of experience the same kind of thing, you know, I wouldn't be in a position to be, from my perspective, you know, sort of full-on believer in this aspect of the phenomenon where it creates a backlash, so to speak, the closer you get to it. Has anyone reported fighting back or resisting a visitation from the men in black or the women in black? Any clues as to how you can, I don't know, counteract them or repel them? Oh, yeah, well, that's actually a really interesting aspect, particularly when it comes to the men in black and the women in black, the reason being that there have been some cases where although the person felt sort of hypnotized and mind-controlled and their self-will was being taken away from them, several of them were able to sort of break the spell and said, get out of here or I'm calling the police, things like that. And when the person is actually able to even briefly just stand up for themselves, so to speak, it creates like a glitch and it's as if they don't know what to do and they fumble and they in stumble in some cases and they don't know what to do and they quickly leave. Almost like, you know, you've sort of inserted something into their mind, if you like, and it scrambles them. And it's almost as if they're programmed to perform one specific task, which is to threaten the person. And if something goes wrong, you know, it's like, their program is being affected by the response of the person. So 
you know, that's an interesting aspect. If you're able to break the spell, they typically leave very quickly. Any reports on whether the Jesus prayer or any type of prayer will work? That I'm honestly not sure about, but I can tell you that certainly when people have broken that spell and they've shouted at them, you know, like a great deal of emotion projected at them, that's when they'd leave. Now, when it comes to the black-eyed children, they also find a way into the house, and again, which is usually like a form of mind control. But the big difference is that the black-eyed children, for 99% of all cases, there is no UFO component. People are quite surprised with that. They think it's all connected, but it isn't. Now, there are a lot of parallels between the men in black and women in black and the black-eyed kids in the sense that all three groups wear black. You know, the men in black, women in black usually wear sort of like a black business suit. The black-eyed kids uh, whose eyes are black, you know, they usually wear these black hoodies with the hood part pulled right down as far as they can get it across the face so that people don't see the solid black eyes that they have. Would you rather have a visit from men in black, a woman in black, or black-eyed kids? Which do you fear the most? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't say I fear the phenomenon as such. I think <clears throat> I'm not sort of that kind of mindset. You know, I'm not sort of intimidated e easily. But I think, well, I, I would actually, I, I don't think, you know, be, it's possible to sort of uh, define it just down to one because they're all extremely similar and all kind of dangerous and, and threatening. So I think, you know, um, hopefully I would have the, I would be able, if the spell was there, so to speak, that people report, hopefully I might be able to break it and, um, you know, have, have conscious recall of the whole thing, which a lot of people don't. A lot of it fe does feel to them as if there are huge patches of the threat when the men in black are in the house. You know, a lot of it is missing. So um, I guess the answer would be, hopefully, you know, I wouldn't get to see any of them from a threatening angle. Um, but... Certainly, you know, if there was a lot of reports in one area, say, I'd, I'd go looking and, and try and, you know, solve it because that's that's what I'm here to do, you know. The uh, the incidents where people uh, encounter black-eyed kids, does it happen more often in, an let's say, an isolated parking lot or do they come to the person's house? Is there a well, commonality? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's almost always at night, which is all pretty much the same with the men in black and the women in black. Um, and... It is very often when the witness is, is isolated or, you know, if there's a knock on the door, weirdly, it's when, say, for example, you know, if, let's say, a, you know, a woman answers the door and her husband's out or vice versa. So it's almost as if they can time it when there's only the one person is in the house they want to target. But what's kind of creepy about a lot of the black-eyed children cases is that in those cases where they've managed to get into the house by, again, using this mind control to allow them to be invited in, the witnesses have said they've started to feel weak and kind of tired and exhausted, as if almost as if they were being drained of their energy by the black-eyed children. And that's one of the more sinister theories that's been put forward, that they are quite literally sort of um, digesting us in a bizarre way, you know, that they're sort of um, draining us of our life force, of our energy, uh, one witness described it as, um, in relation to the men in black, this case is, um, because you get this in the same with the MIB and the women in black. One of the MIB uh, witnesses said um, he felt how probably a diabetic would feel if, you know, they'd missed breakfast, missed lunch, and then it was like 10 o'clock at night and they're in that danger zone where everything's plummeting and they've got to eat, you know. Um, and... That's how people have described it. It's as, literally as if they're being drained of their energy, of their life force. And as I said, there are cases like that with the men in black and the women in black. So some people have theorized that perhaps the, the threat could be a ruse. You know, don't talk about this. It could actually be the, a ruse to cover their, their real goal, which is to essentially use us as a kind of food or as, as fuel so to speak you know we view us as you know the top creature on the planet when we're actually not you know um we're just the most um 
you know, expansive one across the planet, so to speak. But, you know, the idea that, you know, that we could actually be being used as a commodity, so to speak, is quite a disturbing one for a lot of people. You know, the idea that um, we are somehow being bled dry of some sort of like a psychic energy or something which they can siphon off us. Maybe they really are vampires. Well, I mean, nobody's ever talked about sort of literally being bitten and drained of blood. But what I will say is that there are a lot of parallels with the old vampire tales, like the main one being that, you know, the men in black, as you might think or might assume, they never force their way in. They don't kick the doors down. They wait until the person invites them in, which is always when the person's in that sort of mind-controlled state. That happens with the black-eyed children and the women in black as well. Um, and also, you know, you've got this draining of energy. So it would not surprise me if some of the old legends of literal blood-sucking vampires may actually have had some sort of degree of um, truth to them, but perhaps in a distorted way, you know. It wasn't like some guy in a big black cloak, you know, draining somebody's blood, but it could have been somebody in a black outfit even hundreds of years ago, like a cloak, you know, etc., and draining somebody of their energy. So I think, you know, when you look at it like that, maybe some of these old legends that really do you know, have some sort of um, basis in reality. And you often find a lot of folklore, um, you know, do have basis in reality. Sure. Uh, what happens if the if you're touched by one of these uh, black-eyed children? I always hear that. Don't let them touch you. Don't let Whatever you do, don't let them touch you. Oh, well, I mean, that's a, an even more disturbing thing because there are cases where people have been in very close proximity to the black-eyed children, the men in black and the women in black, and they touch them, or they, you know, the the black-eyed kid or the or the man in black has touched them. Um, there are cases where literally within hours or at the most days, the people have felt sick, and in some cases with really strange and bizarre and very rare conditions, um, and you know to the point where they too felt that they've been somehow like supernaturally infected or or their immune system had been crashed by these things somehow. Has anyone ever died as a result of being in contact with the black-eyed children? Um, well, in the new book, a friend of mine, Tracy Austin, who's investigated a lot of the uh, black-eyed children cases, um, she, when I interviewed Tracy, she told me um, as to how she, one of the cases she investigated um, was where there were these repeated MIB cases. And um, the, the the person who was having these experiences, their parents um, died very quickly, um, cl close together as well, literally within weeks of all this going down. And um, and when she spoke to Tracy, um, she felt that you know there was some sort of connection, that there was almost as if it was like a curse, you know, or again like a supernatural infection of some sort. But she definitely place the um place it in that context that her parent the her parents had died as a result of the, the proximity and the association with the black eyed children i'm looking at the cover of your book that you wrote previously women in black and the, there's a quote on here about she shrank from him with a hissing sound mm. has anyone ever sort of attempted to to communicate with them in, in a, sort of an irrational way uh, mm -hmm. find out you know what they what they really well, want where they're from Mm -hmm. Actually, for the most part, I can think of, no. Um, people are just so kind of terrified. You know, it's a kind of a cross between or combination of terror, fear, and this sort of weird, almost spaced out mind control. And so people don't, unfortunately, for the most part, people don't act as you would imagine, to, imagine them to act normally, you know, like inviting them in when no one would ever do that. You know, you'd never let three people in a, you know, you're through your front door at midnight just because they knocked on your front door. So that's one of the problems. People don't react and act in relation to them as as they should or, or we would hope they would. I mean, like with the black-eyed children, um, there's several cases where they opened the door to them and the, they were still fighting in their mind to prevent 
them from being let in. And but what's weird is that one of the witnesses said that as the the one of the, the black eyed kids said, you know, can we come in? We're lost. Can we use the telephone to phone our parents? It's like midnight, you know, and they've got these solid eyes, black eyes. And although the witness was terrified and was kind of saying, no, you can't come in, he suddenly realized that his hand was actually open, starting to open the door, even though his voice was saying, no, you can't come in. It was like his arm somehow had been controlled to open the door. And at the last moment, he realized what he was actually doing. He was denying them entry but in the same process, physically letting them in. And when he kind of realized, again, it sort of broke that glitch, if you like, or created a glitch, I should say, in the, you know, in the process, which was supposedly, you know, supposed to go smooth from their perspective. Do you think there's a relationship between MIB, women in black, black-eyed children, and the jinn? Um, well, I mean, you mentioned Rosemary earlier, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. I mean, Rosemary's looked into this angle as well. Um, now, a friend of mine um, named Buffy Clary, who I interviewed for the book, um, she borrowed my copy of Rosemary's book. And, on, and no word of a lie, I swear this is true. When she was reading the book on two occasions... Um, she was. She had um, lightning strikes. In the first one, it sort of um, affected. It, it, she was working on her laptop, and it was right in the room, and uh, and caused damage to her laptop and all sorts. Now the second situation um, was um, she was actually in her front, excuse me, in her backyard, and the the tree in her backyard was struck by lightning, and it was so close that she felt the effects of it and had to go to the local hospital. Uh, to be treated um, because he just felt kind of really weird and, and, and ill from being in close proximity to this lightning strike and um, and certainly Rosemary you know has uncovered cases as well um, where and it's the same you know with, with her book that things that people look into it's as if the phenomenon starts to realise and then they get bad things happen to them but yeah but Buffy she had um two experiences after you know she'd sort of delved into rosemary's book and um and that shook her as well you know because she realized there was this context between the lightning strikes on her and in one case almost directly and the context between the or the, the time frame of of her having the book and reading it each time you know something bad would happen I think of the movie The Exorcist, which is one of the you know, all-time scary movies. I remember seeing it at the drive-in theater, and I never will watch it if it comes on TV. We won't allow it in the house. Um, what are some of the? You mentioned Rosemary's Baby. What are some of the other dangerous books that you uh, you, you mention in 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 your book? Oh well, I mean, sir, I would say more than any other, at least from from my own perspective, as I know, would be Albert Bender's 1962 book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men. Now, Albert Bender was the guy who really kicked off the UFO phenomenon, excuse me, the, the Men in Black phenomenon, as a part of the overall UFO phenomenon in the early 1950s. And Albert Bender's book tells a story that, you know, I mentioned H.P. Lovecraft earlier, it's far more Lovecraft than it is ufology. And he saw these sort of creepy Men in Black literally manifest in his bedroom. Now, Albert Bender was a heavy um, investigator of um, the occult. He wasn't just into UFOs. He was deeply involved in the occult and trying to summon up supernatural entities. And I think that has a lot of bearing on his experiences. But um, um, as, I, as I briefly mentioned, but I'll expand on, um, his publisher was Gray Barker. Um, and Gray Barker was the guy who wrote the first book on the Men in Black. Now... When um, Flying Saucers of the Three Men was published, written by Albert Bender, um, Gray Barker got a lot of feedback from the readers of the book. Um, some of them said they enjoyed it. Some of them said it kind of disturbed them. And more than a handful said they, they, they got a lot from it, but they felt nervous from reading it. And could they get a refund and send the book back to them? And um, because they felt that somehow the book itself 
had all, it was almost as if the book itself had a had a supernatural presence to it and just looking at it on the table they felt uneasy with it being there and Gray Barker um, agreed to refund the money you know and just mail the books back to me and then he wrote a smaller book um, called The Bender Mystery Confirmed which followed on from Albert Bender's Flying Saucers and the Three Men and it basically told the story of all these people that read the book and felt that somehow the book was not just a book that it seemed to be sort of saturated in sort of a, a supernatural energy that they felt they could feel when it was in their hand or just looking at it somehow they just they just got the shivers you know nick always a pleasure the black diary mib women in black black eyed children in dangerous books congratulations and thanks yeah. for this all right thanks richard Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back with a few words on an upcoming episode. If you want to support my work here at Strange Planet, please consider becoming an official donor. It's easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. There are several donation tiers to choose from from a dollar per month to $50 a month. New donors at the 10, 20, and $50 per month tier receive a free mug from my Strange Planet shop. Donors in the $20 tier also have their names appear on a crawl during the YouTube live stream of my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show. And donors in the $50 tier receive a special on-air thank you on my radio program. Whatever you give, Your support helps keep my radio program and this podcast going. Help me pursue the truth wherever it leads. Patreon.com forward slash Strange Planet. Thank you and God bless. Coming up, physicist John Brandenburg discusses his plan for a human Mars mission using solar electric propulsion. He'll also discuss whether the path to extraterrestrial disclosure leads through Sidonia Mensa. They had this picture and they just released it without uh, consulting anybody. There was kind of a breakdown in management function and for that reason this became well known then that there was this uh, what looked like an archaeological uh, site at Sidonia Menza, and it showed very clearly the face and then 20 kilometers away a five-sided pyramid. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what that means. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.